This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, the dedicated weekly podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints FC. Yes, it's our penultimate pod before the century, which sees the three of us, Steve, Glenn and myself, joined once more by Daily Echo sports writer Dan Sheldon. Dan, thanks for coming on TSP once more. It's good to have you with us. Um, I know we spoke to you just before the Aston Villa away game, uh, just at the uh, sort of mid part of December. So a busy, festive and New Year workload successfully navigated. How do you find it all? Very, very busy. I mean, my... um... (laughs) My predictions completely went to pot on the podcast, although I did say they'd get a point at Chelsea, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I think you did, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it couldn't have gone any better for Saints, really. It was an incredible run. Yeah, lots of positives to write about. So, you know, thanks for, for joining us again. It's great to have you on. And uh, what we're going to do on this week's TSP, we'll be looking back at the uh, weekend St Mary's fixture against Wolves, as I mentioned. We'll preview the Crystal Palace away game and also the FA Cup match in round four versus Spurs next Saturday. We'll also have a chat to Dan about the current transfer window, if he thinks Saints will be busy by their standards, of course, in the next couple of weeks or not. So in partnership with Saints Archive and sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs, who were this week named 2019 Hot Springs Spas UK Dealer of the Year, this is TSP 99. I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. HappyHotTubs.co.uk Saints' latest Premier League game of the season saw Wolverhampton Wanderers arrive at St Mary's with the game ending in classic Saints style with a 3-2 defeat having been 2-0 up. Maybe a case of just not our day. Steve, I wrote down here a game of two halves in the end. It probably was, wasn't it? 
Um, well, yeah, I think credit probably goes to Nuno for the tactical change they made at half time that for some reason we weren't able to deal with at any stage in that second half. Mm. Um, I mean, first off, we were well on top. Um, I think they had, they had what, one or two half chances, really. I think, um, the one that, uh, Jimenez kind of stretched for, but was, was always, I mean, you're always struggling to direct that in any sort of useful sense. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, we, we were the better side first half, 2-0, and you, you kind of think, well, I mean, this is a Wolves side that's got such a small squad and has had a small squad since, ever since they got promoted um, 18 months ago. And it's starting now finally to pick up some injuries, yep. causing themselves some problems. And they've obviously had to go 90 minutes at Old Trafford midweek while we were relatively calm on the, uh, on the training ground preparing. Yep. And yet somehow we're the ones that look absolutely knackered by the end of it. Yeah. Um, it's te- testament to them, um, to be fair, but it's certainly something to work on. But I think it's also a, a useful wake up call to say that, I mean, while we've we've turned a corner, we're not completely out of the woods uh, yet by any stretch. And we're not a we're not a top half side quite um, this moment. Focusing on the, the good from the match then, Glenn, um, a brilliant first half from Saints, um, capped, of course, by two uh, first goals of the season from Yen Badnarek and Shane Long. Um, I, I saw some notes last night to say that uh, Shane Long is now the equal third highest Republic of Ireland striker in Premier League history with 54, so well done to him. And uh, as, of course, everyone will know, Jan Badnarek last uh, Saints goal was in a, a game against Chelsea in 2018 where we went 2-0 up and then blew it and lost 3-2. So that's a, a very nice omen there as well. But, you know, the first goal, a neat finish from him as a, a centre-back and then the second, uh, a glancing header from a, a phenomenal Cedric Cross, Glenn. It was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> For the, phenomenal because it was so unusual. <laughs> yeah, because it stayed on the pitch. Um, we weren't great up until the first goal. Mm. And the first goal was the first time we'd been anywhere near their goal, to be honest. And yeah. it wasn't the best of free kicks. Uh, and, but it, it kind of found its way across to Bednarek. Whether he entirely meant it or not, I'm not sure. You know, it was a great finish. It gave the goalkeeper absolutely no chance. Mm. So uh, happy days. And then in between the, the first goal and the second goal, we were excellent, and it was just a case of whether we'd uh, whether we'd score another one. And um, it's uh, the second goal was proof that the footballing gods work in mysterious ways. Because uh, Cedric getting down the getting down the line, he was involved in the move twice, I think, and yeah. uh, crossing it in is a really good header by Shane. So great stuff. Um, I don't think we really merited being two 0 ahead at half time, but mm. but we were. And uh, yeah, uh, there were so many good performances in that first half, um, sort of like right across the team. Uh, it's a shame we couldn't keep it going, but yeah. uh, there you go. Look, I mean, Steve just mentioned it there, Dan. Um, of course, we go in the break 2 0 up. Um, Wolves move uh, Adama Troy into, I guess, a more forward sort of central position. And as we've seen a, a few times with Saints over the last few years, other than the long ball, they don't like people running at them, particularly powerful guys in the centre of midfield. So we couldn't really cope. No, it's always cliche to say, but it completely was a game of two halves. Mm. Much like the guys have just said, I mean, I, I went in at half time and I was saying to someone on the way in how are they two nil up because they didn't really do anything <laughs> yeah and you're thinking wow they really have like turned the corner now and obviously wolves come out get that first goal and then the momentum is always with them from that point forward isn't it they're they're running at saints like like mm. you say and i was saying again to i think i might have said it to simon actually i always find two nils the worst score in football because mm. you think you're one goal away from killing the game off but then if you can see then the other team's straight back in it with all the momentum and that just seemed to happen. I mean, I spoke to Pierre after the game and I just sort of put to him, you know, the run was always going to come to an end, but it's just a shame it came to an end that way after leading 
2-0 really yeah and I think you tweeted at half time Glenn didn't you say it had been a, a good first half but the next goal in, in true Andy Gray style I think you said the next goal was pivotal and of course Wolves got it yeah similar to what Dan just said there you you kind of know the next the next goal is going to shape what the rest of the half is going to be like yeah and we had despite not being great second half we had two really good chances to make it 3-0 mm. um Shane's header that hit the post when he will think he should have scored yep. it's it's not an easy chance but he will think he should have scored and there was also the one where Patricio went wandering and uh, Danny Ings got a block in and that could have gone anywhere I know it's not technically a, a great chance but a bit more luck that could have been 3-0 and then you know there's no way we'd have lost that but no. um it's interesting you say about Traore because when he lined up on Cedric's wing in the first half, mm. I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. But Cedric, <laughs> actually, Cedric actually played him really, really well, I have to say. Yeah. And then he went over to Bertrand's side and he didn't get any change either. And so they tried him up the middle and then it was like Michael Antonio all over again. <laughs> it, it was because the two centre-halves just, you know, they started going backwards instead of forwards. And it was exactly the same as the uh, the West Ham game where... Mm. You know, they just went to pieces, those two, and yeah. the rest of the team followed. Unfortunately, I think that's I think that's the sort of situation where you, where Romeo comes totally. into it because yeah, I think yeah. he naturally sit probably five ten yards deeper than either Hoiberg or War Prouts, and he might then be able to cut off the ball that goes up to the big man in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Steve. Look, I mean, I'm not going to root out any particular individuals because I think we're aware that lots of them have been playing really, really well the last few weeks. So collectively, the three goals in the second half kind of littered with errors of judgment. I put down here. You know, there were sort of rash diving in and sort of m- maybe decisions that on another day we might have made differently. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, to be honest, I don't think either defence has covered themselves in a, in an awful lot of glory all no. afternoon. To be honest, it was strangely open game for two teams that don't really play a very open style mm. most of the time. It was odd in that sense. But yeah, I mean, certainly I mean, you can pick the bones out of all three goals. There were there were issues everywhere. Mm. Um, just people either trying to be too um, aggressive in terms of pressing the ball and trying to win it before it gets to the danger zone as they perceive it yep. and, and like getting rolled around the corner and that sort of thing leaving ourselves two against two for the for the winning goal. I mean, that was just ridiculous. I mean, how mm. how are we getting done on the break against a team that we know wants to play on the break? Well, and even then, I mean, by the time Troy gets sort of down towards the touchline, I think there's five of our players in uh, the box, just Raul Jimenez, and he picks him out and he slides it in. I mean, it's not like we were... By the time they got to yeah. the other end of the pitch, you know, we had players back there, but it was just a bit organised chaos, really. Yeah, yeah. Troy shouldn't be allowed to turn from... Totally. I mean, if, he, if, if he's going to... If he's going to hit a shot with his with his right foot from a relatively acute angle, if he sticks that in the corner, then you mm. hold your hands up and say, "No, nah, fair play, it's a great finish." Yeah. He shouldn't be given the time to turn back yeah. and then set the ball up for for Jimenez, who's running onto it. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot to work on, but it's mm. let's face it, it's issues that hadn't ever gone away. No, um, uh, it's just that we'd been coping with them. As I say, still stuff that they need to work on on the training ground. Mm. You would say that perhaps. These two are a, are a good stop gap, and it's something we still need to look at. But mm. the problem is, we've got about five billion centre halves who <laughs> have all proven they're not really up to the job. So, how do you kind of square that circle? You're not going to be able to get rid of all of them no. and kind of start again. So, as Ralph has done, you've got to pick your two and kind of work with them and and see if you can get a bit more out of them. They're kind of getting there, as, yeah. as seen the last six to eight weeks. Always going to have setbacks like this. Um, it was never going to be like the three, four years ago where we had that run second half of the season, just mm. steamrolled everything. It's going to be slow progress. I mean, we've made better progress in the last couple of months than anybody ever imagined. It's not a disaster by any stretch. 
Just finally on the third goal, I mean, I, I want to ask you, Steve, because I know you're always up on your Premier League rules, and I think whilst most of us are confused by what the heck's going on in the game these days and uh, VAR, and Glenn, I was just going to briefly get your view on it in a minute, but um, <laughs> we, the, the third goal, Steve, so I think we all agreed it was a stonewall penalty, so I don't think, you know, for any of us you disagree with that, but yeah. the third goal, I'm looking at the Premier League uh, website here, the International Football Association board and the handballs, any goals scored or created with the use of the hand or arm will be disallowed this season, even if it is uh, accidental. I'm not saying that it should have been disallowed, but what I'm saying is there's so much inconsistency in the game at the moment around handballs. You think of Declan Rice, you think of Van Dijk mm-hmm. the other week, that I think all of us are confused about whether that is a handball or isn't a handball and whether it should have continued or not. For me, there's two strands to, the, to it with this goal. Mm. Um, firstly, is it a handball or not? Personally, I'm, I don't think it is, or at least I don't think it's clear and obvious. Yep. Um, on the very first viewing on the club's highlights, it looks very clearly as if it's hit his shoulder mm. um, when you when you're kind of looking at it, um, sort of looking at the player face on. It's only when they show the angle from behind. I think it's Bednar. Yeah, Bednar was it, up his backside. Yeah. Um, it's only when you see it from the angle behind where it looks as if it might might be slightly lower down the arm. Mm. So I think from that first angle, I don't think it's clear and obvious. Yeah. Um, but the second strand of this is that I don't think they even looked for the handball on that because yeah I, it came up on the screen didn't it that they were looking at but i believe that the the thing with var and intervening with handball is it's only if that player then provides the assist directly within the same phase of play now he well controls it with his shoulder or or his arm which whichever way you want to interpret it yeah. then lays it off and then runs around again and mm. then assists mm. so those phases of play have changed and that was why the Van Dyke one uh, for Liverpool a few mm. weeks back wasn't given either because mm. he lumped it upfield and I think it was Lana who then got the assist. So because it wasn't in the direct sort of immediately before assisting um, the goal, that was why they weren't giving it. Fair enough. I think that clears it up. Um, <laughs> um, Dan, I know. I mean, it's it's, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, we've spoken about this numerous times about having VAR in the game and talk about it for hours in the pod. Um, I guess the two different aspects of it to speak to Glenn and Dan. Glenn, I know you'd commented on the fact it was sort of four minutes or whatever to make the decision, but I guess Dan to then sort of speak to you as well. You obviously have the advantage of the monitors, so whilst fans in the ground don't know what's going on, you kind of get to see that. So, Glenn, interested just to get your view on what you thought of the Wolves' experience with VAR, and then Dan, yours. I'm actually pro VAR. Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a good thing. We get the right decisions. Sorry, if we get the right decisions, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and you can look at that penalty shout, and I can see why the referee didn't give it because he thought Stevens had got a toe to the ball, yep. which he did. What he missed was Cedric trashing the guy mm. before before Stevens got the touch. So fair enough. Why did that take four minutes to come to that conclusion? Yeah. That is ridiculous. It doesn't scream clear and obvious for that reason, does it? If it takes four minutes. I mean, on one view. Mm. I, I didn't see it till I saw match of the day in the evening. On one view, you could say, yes, that, that is a penalty. Pretty sure that's a penalty. Yeah. Why did it take four minutes? Why does it take a team of, you would hope, trained referees mm. four minutes to watch that mm. and decide that that's a penalty? So, yeah. so that's a, that's a joke. The way Steve just described the third goal. Yeah. I mean, I was asking on, on Twitter last night, and it's amazing how many different theories you get back from people. And that's kind of the trouble we've generated in the game. Now, it is. Isn't it? Yep. And, and the other problem is, is that we're relying on the FA mm. or we're relying on pundits on Sky or on BBC 
to know what they're talking about. So the, which they we, the, the normal <laughs> fan, can understand VAR, but they don't. I mean, I've heard on Troy Ray that it wasn't given because it happened in his own half. I've heard it, it wasn't given because it was a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, because there was three passes before the goal yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So and everybody talks like they're the ultimate authority, and no one knows, no one knows a damn I know, thing, I know. really. And, and this is the problem with it. I, you've got the farce in the FA Cup where some games have got VAR in and some haven't in the same competition. That's a joke. Mm. What they, what the FA don't want is that they don't want the Premier League clubs to play games without VAR so mm. they can turn around and go, actually, it's better. We don't want it. Um, the handball situation is crazy because the, what they've done now is that they've created two completely different rules mm. for handball when you're attacking and handball when you're defending. Yeah. I thought you were going to say one for Liverpool and one for everyone else. But yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not that child. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's my I, job. I, def- yeah. I definitely am that childish to suggest that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, when you watch the game back, I think both Wolves goals should have been allowed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I've got no, no problem with it, but the, the way it is administered is an absolute joke. Mm. And Dan, I, I guess I was just going to say from the press uh, part of the ground, I, I, I assume it's similar. You guys are all seeing the monitor and probably you're saying, Simon, it's not a goal. Simon's saying it is a goal. You've got Adam Blackmore behind you saying it's not a goal, all those sort of things. So you guys are probably trying to do a type of VAR yourselves probably up in the press room, are you? To be fair, the monitors probably make it a bit more of an enjoyable experience for us because like you say when you see one of the goals like I can say to Simon oh what do you think of that and then we can have our own like mini yeah. debate which again if, if you're having that then is it clear and obvious probably not mm. um, but I mean the, like you say for the fan like especially that one that took four minutes you are looking at that thinking it doesn't take four minutes to work that out if it's a penalty or not no, no. but it, it doesn't matter too much for us because we do get to see all the replays whereas the fans necessarily don't get to see that do they no, so, yeah, exactly. they only show it on the big screen if there's an overturned decision so I think they'd have shown the penalty decision, mm. uh, but then they wouldn't have subsequently shown the potential handball by Traore for the third goal. Just briefly, Dan, just to put you on the spot, what did you think of uh, the penalty and the handball goal? Should have stood? When I saw the first replay, I thought, oh, that's a great tackle. But mm. then the more I looked at it, I was like, yeah, then that's definitely a penalty. Mm. And I thought the third goal, yeah. It wasn't a handball. Cool. All right. Well, just uh, finally then, um, I, I sort of said last night it felt like a bit of a, hopefully a bit of a kick up the backside for Saints, you know, that they can't sort of take their foot off the pedal despite the run that they've been on the last few weeks down. And as Steve said earlier, maybe a bit of a reality check. So 15 games to go. Obviously, we're going to preview one of them in a bit. But maybe in terms of Ralph and the squad, it might not be a bad thing in the cold light of day that they lost that game the way they did. Perhaps. I mean, you'd like to see a response. Ideally, you'd have liked to have won that game yesterday. Then you can sort of go into Palace. Yep. And realistically, you can probably rest Danny Ings for Palace mm. and then rest him for Tottenham at the yep. weekend. Yep. Uh, and then that takes the pressure off. You can play Obafemi and Adams again at Palace and then bring Ings back for Liverpool. It's such a weird season where a few good results and you think, OK, yeah, top half, great. And then you think a couple of bad results and you're thinking, oh, God, now they're right back in it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they're right back in it. I mean, they're still... They still look like they're going to be fine. Um, Wolves are a good side, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, they're in the they're in the last eight two of the Europa League. So yeah, so it's just a strange one at the moment. I think in terms of the players, yeah, it's probably good so they don't get too ahead of themselves and just remember that they're not quite world beaters yet. Yeah. In that sense. I found myself watching the Burnley game earlier. I mean, what, we're on January the 19th and I was like, I couldn't believe it when they beat Leicester. I was sort of thinking, God, you know, we're right back in it. It's typical Saints mentality. But uh, as a few people have said, that's now 42 points dropped since the start of last season, which uh, isn't ideal. But uh, there we go. We uh, move on to another day.
We're recording this pod on the 19th of January, meaning there is just short of two weeks left for Premier League sides to make uh, any new winter acquisitions. Uh, in true Saints style, the windows have so far seen very little action. In fact, it's probably seen none, really. Um, put you on the spot again, Dan. Do you expect it to sort of stay that way? The last I heard was that they don't feel the massive need at the moment to go out and bring anyone in mm. as such, because they obviously, Ralph said in, in the week, didn't he, that he doesn't want to unsettle the squad, yep. um, perhaps, and then they could and get in the way of developing the young players. So as it stands, it doesn't sound like it's going to be too busy. Mm. Um, obviously, Carl Walker-Peters is a player they know is available should, like I say, events change and they end up going for someone, then they know he is someone that they might be able to get. Yeah. But as far as that's concerned, in terms of incoming stats all there is at the moment I think I wouldn't expect too much to be honest yeah and there have been some rumours around about Oriol Romeo um, you put a tweet out probably about an hour before us recording this to say that there have been some interest but Saints you know quite understandably don't want to leave themselves short so I guess just to sort of build on that that's your view and understanding at the moment right yeah well, as it stands as far as I'm aware Celta Vigo have been in contact with Saints this month about Romeo obviously isn't playing but as with like Che Adams in the tweet really mm. Saints don't want to leave themselves short in that position. And if you're Romeo, I mean, he's he's not the sort of player that's going to kick up a fuss behind the scenes either. Mm-hmm. He's not like that at all. So he's not someone you'd want to get out quickly. And he is only an injury to Pierre or Prousey from yep. playing again. Yep. That's the thing. Well, as it stands, there's no real drive for them to get rid of him on their behalf. No, especially with the likes of Harrison Reed uh, away and things like that. So uh, just briefly, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. We spoke on the pod last week about the Che Adams to, to Leeds uh, rumours. I think Glenn called it uh, B-U-L-L-S-H-I-T. Um, there was uh, a lot doing the rounds. I think most of it was being driven by a bloke trying to sell 40% off of his uh, podcast up in Leeds. But, you know, there have been a lot of stories about the board were keen to let him go. Ralph wasn't keen to let him go. Um, you know, we actually heard from Ralph in the press conferences that he wanted him to stay. So do you think there was that sort of friction between the board and Ralph about letting him go or do you think ultimately it's Ralph's way and if he doesn't want him to go he'll stay and everyone will move on well I think ultimately you have to look at the numbers and there just isn't really the numbers there to let him go no. I mean if you let Adams go and then you're left with Ings Obafemi and Long up front which just isn't enough to sustain a Premier League squad and I mean yeah. I first saw I first saw the initial story I think it was at the end of December because uh, I double checked I then spoke to a couple of people and did a piece in, on New Year's Eve, I think, saying mm. there's no interest in Saints letting Adams go. That's just not what they want to do. Yep. And then for some reason, it just like the story just kept on rumbling and rumbling. And from my first conversation, normally you can tell if they're serious or not, and they were serious, that he's not going. Mm. And then it was almost like Leeds were now briefing the guys up their end. <laughs> uh, and the longer it went on, it almost just look like they did with Dan James we're close to getting Adams we want to get him we want to get him yeah whereas Saints told them pretty much from the get-go he's not going yeah so then yeah. there's obviously the stuff about the board and I mean that's not something I'm aware of mm. um because like I say as soon as they approached Saints, Saints were very much no thank you. Yeah, sort of classic uh, unsettling techniques. But Glenn, look, I mean, moving on, uh, Dan mentioned the sort of Thursday's press conference there pre-Wolves. Um, Ralph said he didn't want to, quote, destroy the atmosphere created within the squad over the past six to eight weeks, which I guess you can understand to a certain extent. But his, his overall quote, Glenn, was, we must be careful, we have a balanced squad with a good atmosphere and I don't want to take any risk to destroy this. So probably asking you as someone that will give a very honest opinion do you think he's got a valid point um you know given what uh, we've been through and the fact that Premier League safety maybe isn't too far away now or do you think it's a case of Saints doing things on the cheap and he's the man trying to give a diplomatic view on that 
Um, very much the latter. Um, <laughs> we haven't got a balanced squad. We've got one left back. Yeah. And he was poor on Saturday and looked like he needed a break, to be honest. Mm. And we haven't got a choice. You know, Ryan Bertrand is going to be playing on one leg, you know, if <laughs> if he's injured from now to the end of the season. Yeah. So we, we haven't got a balanced squad. Um, that's rubbish, really. We've got, as, he's, as he was saying two weeks ago, we've got one left back. And at the moment, we've got one right back. That's mm. it. Yeah. So... We haven't got a balanced squad. We haven't got enough players. We've what we've got is we've got like three squads within the squad, if you like. We've got the first eleven yep. who started on Saturday, who who as a first eleven are pretty decent. We've got the loadout on loan, who we obviously don't want. Mm. Um, who in in an ideal world we would have got them out the door, um, you know, sold them. And we've got the backups. Oh, I thought it was quite interesting on. Saturday that the three substitutes that came on Adams, Buffao and Gineppo added the square root of nothing very much mm-hmm. to the to the whole game. Didn't do a thing. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting we're, we're talking about Adams. Um, the defenders, the Wolves defenders must have loved Shane Long going off. Yeah. As soon as his number went up I bet they thought, oh thank God for that, we've got rid of him. Mm. Because Adams was bought for me to either to do what Shane Long does, which is to run around all day and press and yeah. be, a, be a nuisance plus score some goals, and he, he basically does neither. He doesn't look like he wants to press. He doesn't look like scoring goals. He makes the same runs as Danny Ings makes all the time. Yeah. You know, we've got them both going to the near post, whereas Long and Ings have worked each other out now. Mm-hmm. So we do have issues. Um, we have a good 11. I, I think the second half yesterday was, I mean, apart from the trial rate thing, I, I think the well was dry a little bit. I think it all seemed to catch up with us. We've had the same 11 out there roughly for the last, since mid-December. And so you're going to get this from time to time. So we we do need backups. Um, You know, the thought of letting Romeo go is ridiculous because we've only got two central midfielders. So saying we've got a balanced squad is just, that's not going to wash with anyone who looks relatively carefully at, at the players we've got who we are happy to be in the first team at the moment. Doesn't watch. Be interesting to see, obviously, after the, the Wolves sort of uh, defensive uh, efforts by Saints, whether that changes his mindset or not. But I think many people, Adam and uh, people like that have said before, we you know we all know how difficult January is unless you want to pay over the odds for a uh, South American striker, of course. But uh, look, just uh, finally, Dan, um, on Wednesday in the Echo, you had a, a really good exclusive interview with uh, Cedric Suarez. Um, you know, we've given him a, a bit of flack on the pod this season, not just Glenn, myself included. And to be fair, he has played well the last sort of six weeks or so. But what did you make of meeting him and what he had to say? To be honest, he's one of the, the players I do actually enjoy going down to interview because he's, he's honest, he's open, uh, he's very polite, as, as you sort of expect. And he was almost in the mood that it didn't take a lot to get him to sort of just open up and be honest. And yeah. that's all you can ask for from my point of view. Yeah. I mean, I... Um, whether it's a privileged position or not, I don't know. Saints fans might think it is, but I obviously go down and see a player every week. And you obviously have your, not your favourites, but you know, the ones that you know, okay, this, I'm looking forward to this one. This will be good. I'm, I should get some good stuff out of it. Mm. And I think on his behalf, it was also his chance to kind of have his say on the interview that he did with the Telegraph, yeah. which as he would say, he felt it was taken out of context. Now, obviously he would say that, because that's just an easy, an easy defence. But I can only take them, take him at face value, and I, I quite like him as a bloke. I think he's, he's pretty nice. To be fair, he's, um, yeah, he's just a nice guy from what I see. I'm not sure everyone likes him, but that's up to them. And 
I don't necessarily judge him for the football he plays. When I go and meet him, I think, well, you know, if you're going to give me 20 minutes of your time and you're going to be honest and answer all my questions and not try and sort of like shirk any of them off, then on my behalf, that's that's fair enough. That's perfect for me. Yeah. Was he wearing socks, Dan? I'm sure Glenn will be interested to know that. Uh, was he <laughs> not really? <laughs> he, was in tra- he was in training kit. Oh, I right. There you go. I think was, he may yeah. have had socks pulled up. Maybe. Oh, there you go. Then. But I know he normally yeah. doesn't wear them, does he? <laughs> or you can't see them. I, was, cool. I wasn't sure if you put them on, especially when you meet someone like you. One thing I did find funny, because he was in the programme this week uh, at the game, and then the club tweeted a picture of the players in the dressing room, and you can you can look at Cedric, and he's there, and you can just tell he's looking at pictures of himself in that programme. <laughs> First thing he would have done. The concluding section this week then, a look ahead to the Crystal Palace game on Tuesday and the fourth round of the FA Cup and our match at home to Spurs. Um, Steve, I was doing my research on Crystal Palace. Um, It's never an easy place to to go to, albeit we have won four of our last six Premier League games there, which has kind of surprised me a little bit. Of course, the last two seasons we won 1-0 and 2-0, so I guess we're going there with a little bit of confidence. Historically, we've we've had half decent record at Sellers Park. I think it it took until about four years ago for us to lose our first ever top flight game against Palace, home or away. Yeah. So yeah, I mean we've we've got a reasonable record there. Their home record is a bit hit and miss because mm. um, they again they're they're another of these sides who who are very well organised defensively yeah. and look to pick teams off on the break. I mean, they've got obvious threats on, on the counter-attack with Zahar and Ayu and um, Maya and, play, and players like that, yep. which tends to lead them to being a little bit blunt at home mm. when they're required to sort of make the running a little bit. So I think it's a good game for us to kind of get back in the saddle on, really. Yeah. I mean, depending on how knackered they are from from their exertions at, at the Etihad. I mean, obviously, they'll be delighted that they got they squeezed that last-minute equaliser, yeah. but... I can imagine that that 90 plus minutes will have taken a hell of a lot of energy out of them. Yeah. Maybe some changes in that side if they've if they've got any depth because obviously they've had a horrendous injury run for most of this season. Mm. Um, so it'll be a case of whether they've actually got any spare bodies that they can put out on the pitch on Tuesday. Yeah, and as you say, I mean they will be confident from the the result up at uh, City getting the draw. But like we've seen with the recent fixtures over the last few weeks, you know the likes of Chelsea and the likes of Leicester, the pressure is on them as a home team to probably get three points against us, isn't it? So that may play into Saints' hands. Yeah, you can quite imagine that having gone to having gone to the Etihad in the last two seasons. They, obviously, last season they went and won there, and this season they've got um, they've got a draw from behind. Mm. And you can imagine that the the home fans kind of go into Tuesday's game thinking, "Oh, it's only Southampton; they're a load of rubbish." So let's um, let's just go out there and win. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, the expectation levels change. And if things don't go to plan quickly, then the kind of mood sours a little bit mm. and all of a sudden it's a it's the sort of groans and the frustration and and all of that i mean we're quite well placed to take advantage of that i think glenn I'm, i mean they're, they're a side that dig out results i'm not sure i'd want to be a crystal palace season ticket holder but when you look at their run of results i mean they've drawn six of their last eight premier league games they've only won one and uh, lost one during that period so you know they don't win many games but they're hard to beat aren't they they're one of those sort of sides that you do have to give 100 percent to get something out of yeah, we've only got to go back a couple of weeks to see what they were like against us at mm. St Mary's. They're a horrible, niggly sort of team. Yeah. Players like MacArthur, McCarthy, they don't hang around. You know, they they 
they get stuck in. Milivojevic, I don't know if he's still suspended or whether he's um, whether he's back against us. They're, they're not the nicest team to play against, but Zaha aside, they don't have a lot to worry you. Mm, um, so if, if, you, if you can keep him relatively quiet, then you're on, you're on to a decent thing, um, especially at their ground. Mm. Um, I mean, Ayu's I okay, but he's nothing fantastic, and they've just signed Tosin to play up front, haven't they, who yeah, yeah, scored yeah, right. yep. against City at the weekend. But Again, he's he's a big attacker, but he's not the sort of Traore Antonio type who's going to really, really, you know, scare our central defenders to death. So it is quite a good game for us to have after mm. after getting beat. And um, Steve makes a very good point about how tired they're going to be, yep. because the answer to the question of do they have anyone to bring in is is no, they mm. don't. Mm. Um, so uh, and I also agree. I would I wouldn't want to be a season ticket holder, but I do, I do have a mate. I do have a mate who is a who is a Palace season ticket holder, and I think he just goes and gets completely smashed every game, and that's that's how he that's how he gets through it. But, yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Isn't I, it, so. I, I, I quite like them to be honest. I quite like them because they're dirty, but in an honest way. You know, they they know what they are, and that, and they they do what they do. But yeah. I'm. I'm expecting us to get something from the game. Yeah, good. All right. Well, we'll do uh, predictions in a sec. But just finally, Dan, as we sort of mentioned in the first part of the pod, probably for Saints, you know, there would have been nothing worse than maybe having the cup game next week and then Liverpool away. And then before you know it, it's three weeks before you're back to a, a Premier League game that's potentially winnable. So from Saints' point of view, again, trying to be positive, it's quite a nice at this stage to sort of look at it and think they've got three days to then play a game where they can get it out of their system. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And that's always the um, the good thing about football and especially over the festive period I know that's sort of in the past now but obviously with the FA Cup there's always another game just around the corner so you can't dwell too much on obviously Saturday night and probably Sunday they would have reflected on what's happened at Wolves in the second half but then after that it's straight into right okay let's put this right against Palace and I sort of agree with the other guys to be honest I'd be surprised if they didn't get something from the game uh, away from home you know, we've seen what they've done in recent weeks against Leicester and Chelsea. So I'd say, and like I say, Palace, how much energy did they give just to get the two-all draw? So it probably is a, a great time. But then on the flip side, Palace are going to be bang up for it, aren't they? They are. I imagine if you can probably go there and keep Palace quiet for 20, 25 minutes, and then they might start feeling their legs a little bit more, because the crowd there is pretty loud, um, from what I'm told. If you can keep them quiet as well. Yeah. And then Saints will go into the game. And if Danny Ings is playing, he doesn't need too many chances, does he? to put one away at the moment no exactly I think uh, Salhurst Park under the lights is always a, a good night out isn't it but uh, Dan let's start with you then uh, obviously you sounded very positive so uh, that's good so what about prediction for the Crystal Palace game I'll go for a 2-0 Saints win I like that so good alright Glenn can you do any better than that uh, mm, that is madly optimistic <laughs> um, I'm going to go 1-0 Saints 1-0 Saints cool alright what about you Steve difficult one we certainly can go there and win, um, but I, I do wonder whether the fact that we've obviously not made huge amounts of changes from one game to the next yeah. over the last six weeks might finally catch up on us. We've not had any injuries and things like that, so we've we've kind of lucked out a little bit. I think it might just catch up with us a little bit, so I, I think I'll play it safe and go for the one-all draw. One-all draw, yeah. All right, no problem. Um, obviously, I was far, far, far too optimistic for the Wolves game because I went for a one-all draw and, of course, we lost. So uh, I'm going to get back to reality and go for uh, Crystal Palace to win 1-0 from a reverse psychology point of view, of course. So, uh, right, um, moving on to the Spurs game then briefly. Um, 
I, I suppose, Steve, let's forget about Palace. They've been on a good run. The pressure's off a bit in the league. We know that they've decided to take the Cups fairly seriously this season. Spurs will, again, have the pressure on them probably to come and try and win that game. You know, We know they're struggling a bit at the moment. So lots of questions in there, but ultimately a bit of a free hit for the Saints. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I do wonder whether having beaten them in the league only very recently actually piles a bit more pressure on us to kind of repeat the trick. Mm. Um, I mean, Mourinho is obviously already under under a little bit of pressure because they're not playing well. Um, but at the end of the day, that's still a, it's still a very talented squad that yeah. got to a Champions League final um, less than a year ago. So you never quite know what side's going to turn up on any given day this season. Mm. Um, I think we have the potential to put them to the sword and to absolutely nail them yeah. um, if we get it right. I mean, this, the second half yesterday has kind of rattled me a little bit on, on that sense in that we didn't really put Wolves to the sword when we could and should have done. Mm. And, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a worry. Mm. Um, to be honest, my biggest complaint with this Spurs game is that we've given them the whole of the Northern. I know, I think only other time we've ever given the away side the whole stands in the FA Cup was Ipswich. Yeah. And that proved to be a massive own goal because they created a created a great atmosphere for them. And Spurs Spurs fans are going to do the same. Yeah, they are. And they it's, are. it's I, I find it absolutely baffling how um, our ticket office is absolutely determined to do everything in, in its power to limit the effect of our fan base. Despite obviously you constantly get these quotes from players and management saying, "Oh, we um, we really value the the support and um, they they back us in great numbers." Well, we don't back them in as good numbers as we could do because consistently for away games we're taking pathetic allocations. Yeah. Palace on Tuesday night, we've sold out the full allocation at Crystal Palace every time we've played there in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Whether that's been on Boxing Day, whether it's been a Saturday 3 o'clock, whether it's been a Saturday lunchtime, whether it's been a Monday night, mm. um, we have sold best part of two and a half, three thousand tickets there. And on Tuesday night, we're going to have 1,600 there because mm. our ticket office decided that because it was a Tuesday night, we possibly wouldn't sell all the tickets and they didn't want to take the risk of having having to hand over about £5,000 um, for not selling a couple of hundred tickets. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not been great uh, from the ticket office the last few uh, months. I, I imagine this is probably a decision they would have had to have made in what, sort of October, November time or something like that? Would have been slightly later. I, I guess the view would be that we were struggling then, fans were starting to become a little uh, sort of disinterested to a certain extent, some, and therefore they've taken smaller allocations so that, as you say, they don't have to pay out their pocket. I believe the Palace one was just before Christmas. Right, okay, so we were in a decent um, run so weren't we? Yes, as far as I'm aware, the Premier League rule is that the away team has to notify the home team at least 30 days in advance. Right. 30 days is the cut-off for when you decide what allocation you take. There we go. And we've decided, no, we're still going to take the small one. First thing yeah. about that is it, it doesn't actually matter to away fans how well the team is doing. They're going to travel anyway. Totally. Um, because that that's the sort of person that goes. So yep. so if that's the reason, that's rubbish. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I mean, was there a game earlier on in the season where they took, I don't know, 3,000 tickets and only sold 1,000? Did they get burnt at one particular game? Mm. No. The only time we've been properly burnt was Chelsea away a number of years ago where um, where we took the full allocation at 50 quid a pop and didn't sell them. But it's like, well, it's 50 quid. Of course people aren't going to pay that. Yeah, since the maximum price for away fans came in, I can't imagine we've had any problem selling whenever we've had the bigger allocations. Mm. No. There we go. Um, look, back to the Spurs game then. 2003 FA Cup run, Glenn. You'll probably remember we beat Spurs 1-0 in the league. I think James beat it, actually, if I think about it. Um, a few weeks later in the FA Cup, we beat them 4-0. 
a couple of weeks ago we beat them 1-0 in the league. Could we do it again? I don't know. I think it's inevitable for reasons discussed earlier. We're going to have a very different team out. Mm. I think the fact that it's Spurs will, will maybe mean, it won't mean 11 changes, but it, I think there'll be a bit of a mix and match. I mean, you were talking about Romeo. I'd be amazed if he doesn't play yeah. and, you know, Gunn will play and things like that. So we will rest a few. Um, it's a bigger game for them than it is mm. for us. It's a bigger game for Mourinho. I don't think they'll rest many. No, I don't think they will. Mm. I don't think um, they've got a choice, to be no. honest. I think they've got they've got a lot of injuries as well. And I mean, Christian Eriksen is seemingly out the door, so he's not gonna, he's not going to play. Yeah. So they're they're more or less kind of stuck with with the eleven they selected yesterday at Watford. I mean, maybe um, the new lads Gedson Fernandez come comes in to start, but other than that, there's not an awful lot of options there yeah. for them. I don't mm. think. Mm. It's, very, very important for Mourinho to yep. sort of quell any sort of unrest that's, that's coming in, um, coming his direction. Um, if he, well, his, his thing's trophies, I, I don't, isn't it? I don't think he'll be in the, the mood he's occasionally is to sort of throw throw the team under the bus to say, look, I need four £50 million players off yeah. of you, Mr Levy, because that's not going to happen anyway. So he needs to win this game probably more than we do, which is why I think this is going to be a very difficult game, probably more difficult than the league fixture. Yeah, and and I guess just finally, Dan, before we do some predictions, from Ralph's point of view, it probably is that catch-22 because we know he's taken the cup seriously this season, um, but likewise, as Glenn's rightly said there, he will want to give some of the fringe players a go, like the Angus Guns. So it's probably that balance for him about not wanting to sort of sack it off to a certain extent, but also wanting to give them uh, you know, all a bit of competition. Yeah, that's it, exactly. It's also important for the players that, don't normally play to get given their chance because mm. then that sort of at least keeps them a interested and be happier behind the scenes than just constantly in the matchday squad, but on the bench or not even in the matchday squad. But I mean, I do echo what the the guys have just said. I I feel like Steve just made the point there that I don't know if it got picked up or not about Mourinho as a trophy hunter. Mm. And if he can win the FA Cup, then he can turn around and say, well, look, I've done more than Pochettino did for you. I've yeah. won you a trophy yep. already. It's not been that bad, has it? Look, yeah, mm. we don't play great football, but look what we've got now. Yeah. Um, so they they need it 100% more than Saints. I mean, Saints' priority is still staying in the Premier League. I think Saints were 10 points clear at one point, I think, of the relegation zone against Wolves. Yeah, yeah. Had it yeah. stayed like that, then you could have said, well, actually, you know what, 10 points clear. Give the FA Cup run a go. Why not? You're not mm. going to win the Premier League. So... You may as well try and win something. Yeah. But I, I, I still think where well, the Premier League is obviously the priority. I'd be surprised if Ralph didn't make wholesale changes again, just to rest the players that have played so much football. Yeah. Since well, what, what early December? Yeah, pretty These much. Pretty much. Non-stop, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as Glenn said last week on the, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago after the Huddersfield game, Dan, you know, you could tell the likes of Vestergaard and Romeo and people like that hadn't played much football because they looked quite rusty. So this will be a proper test for those players, which means that should anyone get injured, they're in a, a sort of mental and physical uh, better place, really. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, I do always find it with someone, I don't know, say someone like Romeo, he probably needs, because he did look slow against Huddersfield, but mm. he's probably a player that needs, you know, four or five games in a row just to sort of catch up with speed of everything else. And I always do feel the players can be judged quite harshly when they come in and they've not played for a month or two. Yeah. Then all of a sudden they're in a match situation. Yeah, that's true. And they've got to be bang on it a hundred percent. That's just Mm. not really realistic. I don't think. Mm. Um, So it is like, it's almost a catch 22, you know, they're going to come in and they probably are going to look a lot slower than a a Prowse and Hoiberg might do. But then Mm. Prowse and Hoiberg have had the momentum of constantly playing every week. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I don't know, someone like Romeo who's just, training every day and yeah. then sat on the bench 
Yeah. And then when he comes in and let's say Spurs yeah. are going to play a good this is, Yeah, this is why I think it'll be a bit of a mix and match. I don't mm. think it'll be 11 changes. I, th- I think it'll be five, you know, maybe four or five. So if you're a rusty player coming back into a, you know, into a well-oiled machine, so to speak, then you slot in and the other players will get you through. But if you make it 11 changes and you've got 11 rusty players, then yeah. it's going to be pretty ropey no matter what. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's quite a dangerous fixture actually, because there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of irritation about the Spurs allocation mm. around this game. Mm. And if we put uh, an understrength side out and get beat, Ralph's talking about doesn't want to ruin the atmosphere and stuff like that. I, it won't go down terribly well, I don't think, with a lot of people if we, as someone said earlier, sack off the FA Cup yeah. and uh, and uh, and get beat. And I think the other thing as well that will be interesting is, you know, there will be some decisions to make. You know, does he play Vokins again after he did so well against Huddersfield or risk, you know, him coming in and getting battered by, a, I don't know, an Eric Lamala or something and losing all his confidence and then, you know, things like that. But uh, there we go. Let's uh, do some predictions. So there's no points for these ones. And uh, I just should mention Lucy's not very well, so she's not with us this weekend, but I will make sure I get her Crystal Palace and uh, Spurs predictions as well. So, Glenn, let's start with you this time and then we'll do Steve next. I'm I'm going to do a Stanfield. Um, Saints one, Spurs two. Saints one, Spurs two. Brilliant. All right. Well, I said brilliant. I mean brilliant in terms of following my lead, of course. Um, Steve, what do you reckon? <laughs> the attempted reverse jinx. Um, I have a horrible feeling we're going to get the result that literally nobody wants, and it's going to be a two-all draw, and we're going to have to go to a sodding replay. All right, fair enough. Uh, I actually had the same. I put down 1-1 here. I have no idea why, because I think it's the sort of game where if we play some of the younger lads, we could get battered 3-4-0. But likewise, you never know with Saints, they could uh, win the game. So uh, a bit like Wolves, I've sat on the fence and gone for a one all and uh, a replay, as you say, Steve, that no one really wants. Um, Dan, you're going to end on a high? What allocation? <laughs> what, what allocation, allocation? will be taking a replay? <laughs> about 800. Their, their, their ground holds about, about 4 million people. <laughs> well, the, the, theoretically, they would have to offer us up to 9,000. <laughs> Yeah, um, there'd be nervous twitches in the ticket office at that thought. I think, yeah, I mean, I think we'd probably we'd probably take five, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there would be quite a few, wouldn't there? Just, but uh, I, ultimately, it would basically depend on what the what the boundaries were for, because um, the way the way they split allocations up, basically, there's a certain level that each club will have where they basically will give the away side um, regardless of whether they sell them all mm. so on a, on a sort of sale or return basis mm-hmm. and then if you want the full allocation it's a guaranteed sale thing yeah. you have to pay for them regardless of whether you sell them yeah. um, and I guess basically we will take the line between the two of those yeah. that will be the allocation we'll take and we won't take any more that's my guess because basically the people running the ticket office Wait, that's the way they're running it. Yeah. It's... You, you don't sound like a fan, uh, Steve. But, no, uh, there I'm we not. Go, but, uh, there we go. We can have this conversation in a couple of weeks when we secure the replay, can't we? But uh, right, I, I fancy that Mr. Sheldon's going in this podcast on a very, very positive note. I'm sorry to disappoint. You. <laughs> 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 I, oh, I just feel you mis- like, misread the room there. <laughs> like, like the guys have said, I think Spurs aren't going to make that many changes. Whereas I, I do think Ralph will make quite a few, and yeah. Spurs' first team is probably far superior to. Yeah. Saints is beating him to be fair so I'm probably going to go 3-1 I'll give Saints a goal I'll go 3-1 nah, Fair enough I'm not speaking for every Saints fan here but I think if you'd given us the uh, choice between three points in the league a couple of weeks ago and beating them in the FA Cup I think probably most of us in this day and age sadly would have taken the three points certainly from my point of view I would have but uh, who knows what will happen next weekend
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, if indeed you are still doing so. My gratitude to Glenn, Stephen, of course, Dan. Next week we'll see our 100th episode released, which was recorded at Five Rivers Pub in Southampton a couple of Fridays ago. I have finished editing it. I think it sounds good. I've got Adam Leach quality checking it at the moment. Uh, look, we hope you enjoy it. Um, thanks for all of your support up to and including this uh, 99th episode. We'll be back to chat after the Liverpool away game on the 1st of February. As you can imagine, I literally can't wait for that. Until then, this has been Total Saints Podcast. Keep marching in. Cause we all need these colors We all believe these colors When our hearts are on the line We cry tears of red and white When I need a friend I go down to travel and And we sing with these colors Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.